This isn't a spy stream. I see now I've done terrible things. But you started when you murdered my father. I'll never forgive you. Well, you're going to have to. He's no good to me dead. I'm a simple man making his way through the galaxy. Like my father before me. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Best One Since the Next One, the podcast that dives deeper than the mass grave they're going to have to dig for all those dead Banthas in the film and TV franchises and the fandoms they inspire. Today, we're talking the Book of Boba Fett, Episode 2, The Tribes of Tatooine. With me again this week is an especially dangerous Doug Dorda. Welcome back, Doug. John, I'm so glad to be here, and I realized last week that I got so wrapped into my own nickname that I forgot to comment on what I thought your Star Wars nickname might be. But then I realized your Star Wars nickname is already perfect. It's already built right in there. Pataki is one of the, like, that that exists in the Star Wars universe already. But what I realized is it couldn't, it, it's not a nickname. Like, it wouldn't be like, ah, there's Captain Pataki, although that does sound fucking rad now that I say it out loud. <laughs> I think it's more like a race, you know, uh, a species that exists out there. Like, it's an alien species. Like, those are the Patakis, and they, they could be like, I don't know, immediately... Because of the way my brain works, I went to like a shaved Wookiee cousin, <laughs> something along those lines. But I, yeah, oh, yes. obviously it's not like that. It could be like a nickname for a captain, you know, in, in the way that like Chiss reclaimed Skywalker in their own language. Um, you, you know, it, it could definitely be something like that. But anyway, Pataki, I feel like exists in the Star, Star Wars universe. And, and I appreciate the thought. Yeah, today we're talking about the Book of Boba Fett episode two, the tribes of Tatooine and holy cow, we got a lot to talk about. The show is similar to what we do with like our, our our franchise series and things like this. Our week-to-week recap, I thought it was more appropriate to do something specific to the show and the, the Star Wars universe as a whole. So we're ditching the hollow feed this week. We're calling this segment Back to Basics. That's back to basics, but back to basics. I, I understand that most people probably get it, but now that I read it, I'm like, oh my God, it's fucking good. This guy likes Star Wars, everybody. It's always a funny joke when you have to explain it afterwards. Episode 2, The Tribes of Tatooine, released uh, Wednesday, January 5th, 2022. Director Steph Green, holy cow, bring her back immediately, please. Coming uh, in hot. As hot as you can, just like nuclear. Written, uh, of course, by John Favreau. Tamara Morrison as Boba Fett. Ming-Na Wen as Fennec Shan. Jennifer Beals as Garza Fwip. David Pascesi is the major's major the mayor's major domo. Can't say that. It's really tough. It's like a good vocal warm-up. The mayor's major domo. The mayor's major domo. The mayor's major domo. Got it. Matt Berry back is 88. Robert Rodriguez this week as Mak Shaiz, the mayor. Last week he was Doc Strassi, the Trandoshan. But yeah, he's lending his voice to the mayor this week. Daniel Logan makes a brief cameo appearance. I'm, you know, de-aged and in CGI form or repurposed film form as young Boba Fett. Uh, Mandy Kowalski as Cami and Skylar Bible as Fixer from the Tashi Station deleted scenes from A New Hope. Just a, a triumphant callback and a, just a hilarious thought that these two are just like just always at Tashi Station, just hanging, just hanging out. <laughs> they know, can't leave. Like, it's God, those I chips. Those chips keep bringing them back for more. Those like space chips. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, we'll talk about it more in a second. So, what happened in the episode? You might ask. We open on Jabba's palace as Fennec Shan escorts her assassin prisoner to be interrogated by Boba Fett. I just wanted to talk about like the front door size of Jabba's palace is an ever-changing thing in the special editions and all the different versions of like the Blu-ray and initial DVD release of the special edition, uh, et cetera, et cetera. This seemed to be about like initial, like first release 97 special edition door size of Jabba's Palace. What do you, do you have any commentary on the door size? No. Uh Uh Uh-oh. Little uh, Jabba's Palace front door tangent but 88 reveals that he's of the order of the nightwind an assassin for hire the assassin continues the silent treatment so fennec drops him into the rancor pit to persuade him to speak panicked the assassin reveals he was sent by the mayor only later to reveal that there's no actual rancor anymore but when fennec decided to pay a visit to the mayor passing by a heavy trandoshan presence on the streets of mos espa they arrive at city hall where they are greeted by the mayor's major domo they are taken in to see Mok Shaiz, an Athorian who has the assassin killed, claiming they are not allowed to operate outside of hut space. Boba accepts the bounty offered to him as the tribute he believes the mayor owes him. 
As he's leaving, the mayor plants a seed of doubt as to who sent the assassins. He offers some advice. Running a family is more difficult than bounty hunting. And sends them to Garza Whip's sanctuary to see for himself. Garza greets Boba and Fennec at the door, and Boba calls her bluff, claiming she's sweating like a gumta on Mustafar. Another good vocal warm-up. Garza informs <sighs> Boba that the twins have arrived to take over for their late cousin Jabba. Boba, claiming that the twins are too busy enjoying the debauchery of Nalhada, stops in his tracks as he hears war drums beating in the distance. I, I really... It's a mental image I don't want to, in my head is what kind of debauchery takes place on a hut home planet, especially like a race that can like switch sexes at will. It's just a uh, hut orgy after hut orgy on now. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically eyes wide hut. <laughs> <laughs> and that's been our show. Thank you guys for tuning in to best one since the next one. That's it, everybody. Good night. <laughs> the sanctuary goes. I can't even continue. The sanctuary, <laughs> the sanctuary goes silent with fear. As Boba and his crew head outside to meet whatever is coming their way. Turns out what's heading their way is twin huts. Carried to meet their competitor on, on a double wide litter. One wiping their face with a hoojib and another fanning themselves from the Tatooine heat. Speaking of twin huts, uh, real quick, Doug. I've been working on a song and it just so happens to match up with what happened in the show today. I wanted if you wanted to be the first person to hear it along with the people that are listening. Would you be interested in that? I would love nothing more. It's a completely original song. It's serendipitous, really, that this episode came out when it did. Here you go. Well, just like Boba, I don't answer to nobody. No, baby. But with these two, I just can't help myself. When we're together, it's like booster bars, fires. Hot, baby. My body's burning like Anakin's with desire. Come on, come on, two twin pups. What did you think of my completely original? Oh my god, that's unfair, man! You can't just you can't just launch that at me. You got the high ground there. It's just it's just crazy that I just happened to write that original song just for this. How how serendipitous, as you put it? It, it is two twin huts, which I know is a little redundant. It's not four huts total. It's just two. Hey, man! If you're gonna paint a picture, you want to paint it with all colors. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you got to set the cadence, man. So they claim this is Jabba's territory. Boba refutes it, and the huts unleash their secret weapon and Boba's former coworker, Black Kern Santon, the Wookiee bounty hunter, first introduced in Darth Vader number one, and possible cast member of the Kenobi show because that lightsaber scar above his eye is from Obi-Wan's lightsaber. Who knows? Who knows what's going on anymore? Anything's on the table, apparently. <laughs> Boba tells them all to beat it, and they take off as Black Kern Satin does some major mean mugging. Fennec informs Boba they'll need permission if they want to kill the huts. Boba returns to his back to tank for more Tatooine dreaming and focuses <laughs> on his gaffy stick training with the Tusken chieftain. A frog dog randomly breaks free from the sand, and while giving chase, the Tuscan sees something careening toward them in the distance. It turns out to be a Tatooine death train that fires on the Tuscan tribe. Pew, pew! And Bantha and some Tuscan raiders catch a few strays, and the train speeds off. The Tuscans burn their dead as Boba catches a glimpse of the swoop bike gang from the first episode enjoying a midnight ride. Boba informs the tribe that he will stop the train and be back by morning. I gave you a real Star Wars-y paragraph there. <laughs> oh. You got Frog Dog, you got Swoop Bike, you got Tuscan, you got Tatooine, Death Train. I'm into it. I'm into it. <laughs> when that Frog Dog busted out of the sand, I was like, okay, why wouldn't we be doing this right now? Of course. Like, yeah, of course yeah, a Frog yeah. Dog's going to pop on out. Give me everything. Obviously, it's later revealed what it actually is. But when that train first drove by, I was like, of course, Tatooine just has like a random Death Train driving around firing on people like of course that's one of the many dangers of the desert it's just like some rando train flying through arriving at tashi station the swoop bike gang comprised mostly of niktos pulls a, a move that my friend joel used to do at founders where he'd just like have like two beers too many 
and just go around to people's tables and like eat their chips and guacamole off the table and then like drink their unfinished beers that they'd left behind. But if you do it confidently enough, nobody, nobody like bats an eye. Or yeah, and it was so confident that I'm not even sure he was aware he was doing it. It was just like blacked out walking around founders. But yeah, the Nikto did that. I thought of my friend Joel right away. Um, he drunkenly steals Cammy's spaceships and slams Fixer's drink. Fixer attempts to stand up to the gang, but he gets tossed aside as Boba enters the fray and just mops the floor with him. He steals her swoop bikes and returns to the Tuscan camp to present them with his haul. An amazing swoop bike training montage ensues after Boba delivers the Star Wars fandom meme heard around the world like a bentha. Yes. Like a bentha. Like a bentha. Yes. Like a bentha. Yes. And the crew rides off to stop the train. That swoop bike montage, the first episode was so serious that when the first Tuscan like ran over the other one with the swoop bike, it was such a good release. It was such a great like comedic release because it's like there hasn't really been any intentional comedy up to this point. And it like just a, a clueless Tuscan Raider driving a swoop bike over one of his buddies and being like, ooh, I don't know what, the, what I'm doing. This <laughs> was just the best. Well, not only that, you know, there's that moment where he first tees the 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 one Tuscan up, and like, who's first? And then the Tuscan gets on, and I was like, this thing, it's going to speed away just like the Ewok, you know? We're just going to yeah. go pew, right out of the frame. <laughs> and then to go backward, I was like, of course they would go backward. This is perfect. <laughs> Boba continues his combat training with the warrior as the train is spotted in the distance, and the plan springs into action. After another bantha bites the dust, a good old-fashioned train heist breaks out, and once the smoke clears, it's revealed that the Pike Syndicate are running spice on a trade route and saw the Tuscan Raiders as uncivilized raiders. Boba warns them that these sands are no longer free for them to pass, and that the Tuscans lay ancestral claim to the Dune Sea, and to head back to his syndicate with the terms he's presented them, and that the Tuscans will protect them as they make their way across the desert. Back at camp, the Tuscan chieftain reveals to Boba that once the oceans dried up, that the Tuscans remain hidden, and that some tribes survive by killing. Boba informs the chieftain that they no longer have to hide as they are warriors. The chieftain provides Boba with a gift of a hallucinogenic lizard that crawls up his nose and into his brain. <laughs> Star you, did Wars. It, you did it so well. I needed to sell the little baskets at Galaxy's Edge with a little plushy lizard inside that like sprays glitter when you squeeze it. It just needs to happen. Please. Um, Boba starts tripping balls and finds himself having flashbacks of his near-death experience in the Sarlacc and of watching his father, Django, take off and leave while he is growing up on Kamino. He finds himself entangled in a giant tree and snaps off a branch before returning to the Tuscan camp, where he should actually just like sit and chill for a bit and drink some water. And like eat some orange slices, just binge some Netflix all day because I've I've been there, man, and it's not good. The next day is just not good. It, it, just after all that, he just needs to sit in the chill out tent for a little bit. But no, man, this is Boba Fett. So what's he gonna do? He's gonna present the Tuscan chieftain with his branch, and he is fully accepted into the tribe as he's adorned with Tuscan outerwear and shown how to create his very own gaffy stick, which I am looking forward to purchasing someday at Galaxy's Edge as well. <laughs> Hopefully, it's a whole experience though, where you actually spend you know six to eight hours hours whittling that would be so much more fun if like you really had to get in there with the woodworking tools with a tuscan raider like breathing down your neck as you're doing it you're like... <laughs> no no english whatsoever <laughs> no basic we're just we're really getting into this you can't see your family until you're done making it yes you ride no rides you just go and do this all day let's do it disney boba joins the tuscans in a ceremonial dance around the fire as the screen fades to black and my heart explodes Woo! with joy boy kara dj who's going to be on this ep who's going to be on the show next week to talk about uh, episode three texted me and was like, have you watched Boba Fett yet? Do it. Like you can't go, don't go on your phone. Don't do anything. So instantly I was like, Jesus, what's happening. And um, yep. It delivered for sure. I, I thought it was crazy when the huts came in and then when black current Santon appeared, but you know, if that's, not even the craziest thing that happens in the episode, you're in for a real treat. The audacity to tee you up with two huts and Blackburn Santon, some of the most like feared, wonderful Star Wars characters that you could imagine, and you know that some massive action beat is about to happen. They're like, nah, let's go ahead and put him back in the back to tank. And we're going to start <laughs> off again with those Tusken Raiders that everyone seemed to enjoy so much last episode. And then we're going to deliver you 310 to Yuma meets the Godfather meets Dances with Wolves. I really love what they're doing. It was hinted at in the first episode. And I feel like we kind of touched on it a little bit last week of like what he's doing is bringing the Tusken Raiders back to their ancestral like claim to this planet and bringing them back to their former glory. Like it's clearly what's happening now, right? He's coming in and he's saying like, you deserve to have your, your land back. You deserve to have your planet back. I think we hit it on the head last week by saying that like, this is 
Boba's attempt to have a family, one of the most major Star Wars tropes of the found family in this in this tribe. He's he's started as a clone. He's one of millions. So many people have his face, but he's never truly had a family besides his father who was taken from him. And now he's, if not the leader of like the co-leader of this tribe, and this is his family now. His his family he's found after emerging from the Sarlacc pit and making them his own after they accepted him. It's it is some real dances with wolves action or like the the last samurai or like you know these these movies that are like like I said like definitely like white savior complex movies, but like this isn't that. <laughs> Actually, this to me rung more like so. It, it, I I want to agree with every point that you just made. But as I was ruminating on this, and I was like, all right, man, I got to talk to John about this because we we really got to get into it. What I what struck me is the fact that at this point, and you've you've been bringing it up in some of our you know kind of preliminary discussions before we recorded the episode, was that this is it's such an Ouroboros now. It is a snake eating its own tail. Tamura Morrison is a member of, you know, an ancestral tribe in New Zealand. So when he comes into this set, he originally just plays Django Fett. Great. Here we are years later. Now you get to play Boba Fett. You get to play your own son. And this son, Boba, is trying to find a family. He's trying to find a reason to be. He's trying to find a, a reason to exist. He he survives as a long time or for a long time as a bounty hunter. And he says, Tellingly, early on in the episode, I'm no longer a bounty hunter. I am not a bounty hunter. I'm done. And it is because we we, we now learn that when he came out of that Sarlacc pit, he went through a transformative experience. And a lot of what Tamura Morrison brings to the character is what the character of Boba Fett brings to the Tusken Raiders, which he is now trying to bring to the forefront of what's happening on Tatooine. And these myths, these legends, these actual real world things that we deal with here on planet Earth are being cast into the Star Wars universe. And no longer are we are we just like not not acknowledging the references. Now those references, our reference points are right on the sleeve. Tamora Morrison came in and they honored his traditions by making him a character in a show that's about him honoring and uplifting Tusken Raiders traditions in this tribe. And it's just really beautiful. It's a really beautiful meeting of art and real life. And then you get amazing action sequences and like hilarious moments on top of that. But that's why that ending was just so powerful, man. It just, it felt otherworldly, even being beyond star Wars. It felt so much like watching someone ascend to his rightful place, like to find belonging for the first time in his life. And he's there. And it really worries me for the future of that tribe because they're not just hiding in the hills somewhere, you know, when, when Boba takes over, and you know, kills Bib Fortuna and takes over the crime syndicate. I don't know, man. I'm I'm nervous about their their fate at this point. I always think everybody's gonna die. Then I have to talk myself out of it because there's got to be stakes that are not just death all the time. I I gotta think that the fate of this tribe is his motivation for wanting to take over Tatooine and reshape it and reform it because of how they treated these Tusken Raiders. Well, yeah, I think that's what it is. Is that he now he now has his family. He now has spent so much time with these people, learning their ways, learning their customs, learning how to become himself. For the first time ever, he is Boba Fett. And what I loved most about this episode was that you need a justification for him not being in the armor. Because everybody like associates that Boba Fett armor with badassdom. With just, this is a guy that, who can handle his shit. But this episode was about the birth of Boba. Right. And the fact that we get that, you know, so so wonderfully crafted over what is roughly 40 to, to 50 minutes of an episode. Mm -hmm. And he now has agency in this world and he now has a people that he wants to protect. And he has the face of that, which is him and Fennec taking over, uh, taking over the criminal underworld on Tatooine. But the motivations are clear now. And I got to imagine that's going to come to a head in one of two ways. Either A, his confrontation with the Huts is going to lead to him calling on the help of the Tusken Raiders right. uh, that took him in. Or the Huts are going to be smart enough to figure out that those Tusken Raiders took him in and they are going to use them as leverage. Yes. And I hope that's not the case. I think there's three possible directions at this point. And those are the two of them. And the third one, I think, is maybe they somehow they are all wiped out before he takes the throne. And that's the reason why he's 
I, I'm taking this over for, oh, for to uh, to I bring just it all got back. So bummed out. <laughs> I'm sorry to do it, um, but it would still really, be like well, it, it would still be a phenomenal story, but yeah, a very sad one. I'm always here to bring the mood down for you. Um, <laughs> what I what I really love is the parallel between Boba getting his like ceremonial garb from the Tuscan Raiders. That really amazing, but the score is just pumping. It's just the most beautiful score, and. He's, you know, being wrapped up in that traditional Tuscan cloak. Does that not look like the most comfortable stuff you've ever worn? It looks in your... real nice. It looks right? real nice. Like, mark my words, anybody listening to this podcast, and or, you know, my wife, who is definitely going to listen to this podcast later on, when I die, <laughs> wrap me in Tuscan linens. <laughs> and we'll is write that... that song later, John. When I die, wrap me in Tuscan linens. There you oh, go. Man, right. Well, this episode was so wonderful, too, in that it, it had so many of those Western stereotypes, but layered. It was like it was like a Western lasagna layered in between, <laughs> uh, mm. you know, multiple facets of different tribal lore and history and, you know, ascendancy and all of that stuff was in there. And I just like it, if at one point they had turned and there was just like a Tuscan playing a harmonica. And cooking a pot of chili, I would have been like, "Yep, <laughs> rocking in a rocking chair with his feet kicked up on a a stool, just just getting at it." Like that's that's the way this one felt, and I think a lot of people had that idea going into this that we might get some of those Western elements, that we would get you know some more of those really really cool outlaw takes. But the way that they packaged it, and the way that it's the way that it's delivered, it seems so new while being so familiar and. Oh, it just made me so happy. It was really extremely well done. Uh, Steph Green is a, an instant legend. Uh, I mean, she's known for, she's done like episodes of like The Watchmen. It was Watchmen. Like I never do this. I never go ahead and look into the directors until like a season is done because I want to just go through and rewatch. But immediately after the episode was done, I had to look into it. So the episode you're referring to of The Watchmen is one of my absolute favorites. And it was the one where Looking Glass gets his own backstory retold. And it mm -hmm. is just phenomenal. And then there was um, an episode or two of The L Word. You know, some other prestige television. But... Oh, um, The Man in the High Castle. That was the one. Yeah, The Man in the High Castle. Like, mm -hmm. uh, what a pedigree. And like you said, though, she just came in guns blazing. Uh, Western lasagna is uh, what they should sell at Denny's if there was ever a Book of Boba Fett menu like they did for Solo. They should serve the Western lasagna. I guess that wouldn't really make a ton of sense. And, it's and it would have bantha beef somehow in the yeah, middle. Kind of a walk to get there. But the parallel between him putting on those robes in this episode and him putting on the armor in the first episode and that, that union of the ceremonial dress or the ceremonial cloak with his old armor and just the fusing of the two Bobas into one newly whole man that has a vision and a family and a, and a purpose for the first time in his life is just like, that's some Star Wars shit right there. Oh, and it, just the fact that, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry out there, cosplayers that cosplay as Boba Fett and Matt Blodgett. I'm so sorry for you. But when they, when they, you know, re-brought him back in Mandalorian and he had that black undergarment as opposed mm -hmm. to that white undergarment, that is what makes me think that these people are just so unbelievably smart and cagey about the way that they're telling these stories because th the seeds of this story were there before that character was even reintroduced in the Mandalorian Absolutely. season two. Mm -hmm. Why is he wearing that black undergarment? Well, guess what? You're going to get an answer to that question and it's going to take us 45 minutes to get there and you're <laughs> going to be so happy we answered that question. What a magic trick. What a magic yeah. trick. Not really focusing on the character of Boba Fett being like, oh, cool, he's back in the Mandalorian and seeing him in the cloak and having the gaffy stick, you know, I have the thought of like, oh, I wonder how he got that. But like, not like I need to know how he got that. I was like, oh, he found some Tusken Raiders and they helped them out, I'm sure. But I never in a million years imagined that we would get it in a story that's like bringing the Tusken Raiders, like making you empathetic towards Tusken Raiders. I have like extreme empathy towards them now. And it's like, I feel for them as a tribe. I feel like how dare like the people at Anchorhead and uh, Mos Eisley like view them as dangerous scavengers and, and scum you know it's it's weird that you're like feeling for the tuscan raiders because they're just some people that knocked luke out at one point you know yeah in much the same way that you feel for quill in the mandalorian they just if you constantly just go ahead and, and you know pick a background character and be like you know what i'm really gonna flesh this one out i'm gonna go ahead and make you care about that person why because we we have the ability to we're telling these stories in long form now that is the wonder of the televised Star Wars era. 
you know, yeah. these, these really long stories going all the way back to Clone Wars through Rebels into our, our new live action, you know, interconnected universe that we're doing here. I, I would ask for, for nothing more solely because the stories are so good, though. Like if, if we were just doing it for the sake of doing it, then it would feel like nothing. But I now am left to wonder, are the are the black melons that we find in the sand remnants of the once oceans? That existed on Tatooine, which is another thing. You know, you're a Star Wars fan when at like 7 a.m. you're like drinking coffee and watching the Book of Boba Fett. And like, oh yeah, cool. They name they we have a name for the melons now. We know what the melons are called. And uh, also, Black Melon is the name of my Blind Melon metal tribute band. Kind of eating my words from last week, thinking like that I'm tired of Tatooine because even though I was qualifying it by saying I'm glad we're getting these new creatures and things like that, now Tatooine is kind of being painted as ancestral land and giving these these weird stories about the evolution of the planet. And even Tatooine is fascinating again to me now, just from two episodes. They're doing the work to really make it fire on all cylinders and make it work as an actual story. And I like what you're saying about meshing everything together because one thing I really love about the show, for some reason, Boba Fett specifically, you know, having history on Kamino, born on an ocean planet. He's created on an ocean planet that didn't used to be an ocean planet, right? And he's born into a bunch of people that aren't his own. He's created into a bunch of people that are his own, but not really. Through his life and his travels and his career as a bounty hunter, he sees the galaxy and he ends up uh, left for dead in the Sarlacc pit on Tatooine, which is a former ocean planet that's now a desert. It's like the reverse of Kamino. And now he's found his people. Taking the history of this character and expanding it through this timeline like this really solidifies star wars as one we talked about this a little bit last week too but really solidifies it and makes cracks open my star wars brain in the strangest way because i'm like oh man it really is just like one story and i start to figure about directors and writers and screenplays and special effects and i start to think about it's the world again to me it's the galaxy of star wars again to me it's not just like oh jj's doing episode nine you know ryan johnson's doing this did you hear there's 14 tv shows in the way i'm, I'm not thinking about star wars like that like i was for a while i'm thinking of it like oh my god it what well, it is just a living breathing galaxy and they're doing their job to mesh it all the eras of star wars into this just full tapestry and dealing with his trauma, becoming this like self-actualized shaman in this tribe, it weirdly helps bring everything in into a clearer focus. And it doesn't feel like anybody's straining to do it. Any of the creators are straining to do it. It feels like a very natural evolution of the story for this character and for the Star Wars galaxy in general. But they're doing it with the Tusken Raiders in Tatooine, the place where everything started, and it feels completely new. What is going on? For me, it just seems like they these are people that have lived and breathed with these characters in their minds for so long that they were just bursting at the seams to be able to tell stories in settings that we all recognize, with people that we might also recognize, and definitely with people that are, you know, backbench characters that, that not everyone at, at large is going to recognize, but we want to bring in here. We want to play with these people because... We can tell really, really engaging, new, vigorous, uh, life-breathing stories. And I struggled with the first episode. I didn't bring it up in, in our last podcast, but with this episode, it became, it became clear to me. Uh, the Mandalorian had that moment with Grogu poking his finger out. And right then and there, I was like, that is going to sell everybody who's a non-Star Wars fan on watching this show through the rest of the season at the very least. You got that cute little baby, and there's your little plush toy, and everybody's going to tune in just to make sure that that thing doesn't get hurt. That's what they're looking for. We don't have that with the Book of Boba Fett. We don't have any, like, immediate linchpin, okay, what, what's going to pull in the, the casual Star Wars fan? The people that have mm -hmm. known that it was had it, like that it's existed for years, that they've had it on in the background. Um, you know, uh, what, what am I going to watch here? And in this episode, Boba Fett earning the respect of the Tusken Raider people, the, the Tusken Raider people then in turn giving their respect back to Boba Fett and Boba becoming who he is and shedding the armor just so that when he puts it back on, we can understand why he constantly takes it off and doesn't need to wear it. I feel like that's finally it. We now have a human being that has no magical powers. There's no force wielder here. 
yet. You know, something like that could pop up a little <laughs> bit later on. We now have something that anybody can grab onto, which are those myths and legends and the the ascension and, and wanting respect and wanting to find a people. These are all universal themes sure. that anybody could grab onto. Again, an, yet another portal into Star Wars where it's like, okay, this might hook people and bring them back in. If they respond to those themes, every Star Wars, every Star Wars entry has those themes in a different way. And like they just remix them time and time again, and it just always works. It always works. Yeah. It's yeah. Just, when George it's, Lucas it's, does that rhyming, you know, when he, when he said his rhyming bit, this is the type of rhyming that I like to see. This is that rhyming that I really like to see. It's an echo. And it, and it expands out and becomes eventually something new in much the same way that a real echo does where, you know, the fourth or fifth time that it bounces off the wall, it doesn't sound exactly the same, but you can still recognize it. This is what that echo is. It's interesting to me that you said lightsabers. This just kind of popped. Fascinating that we're finding Mando. I guess Din was the same way, but he had Grogu who was being pulled on a journey by the force. Boba's finding his way through the galaxy without the force. You know what I mean? He's he's it's it's a show that's completely like you said up to this point. I'm sure something will be tied in at some point. Who knows? Maybe not. He's finding his way completely cut off from anything having to do with the force and his he's finding his destiny as just this rugged survivor with, you know, the help of Fennec and all these people at his side and the Tusken Raiders, but he's he's cutting his path sans any kind of mystical guidance beyond just being a crime drama you have to be pretty intentional in star wars to not have a force based element to it or a jedi popping in to save the day or they couldn't even resist it in mandalorian which i'm glad that they didn't none of that here and it's kind of refreshing in a way how about some of the actual components of the episode itself with the huts and black curtain santon i think speaking to your point too that's another element of the show where it's like you're rewarded because if you've read the comics the dr afro comics or the darth vader comics you know that this is like a feared bounty hunter that used to work with boba fett but if you don't know that it's just this badass looking really scary wookie bounty hunter that's working for two like slug people you know like which cool. is fucking sign radical me up. sign me up if that had been any other wookie bounty hunter only a, a second would i have been upset that it wasn't black kern santon but i would have mm-hmm. been like yes, yes and i told you it. yesterday when i texted you about this episode i screamed yes so loud in my basement when he walked into the frame <laughs> that i woke up my daughter and she can we, talk because she watched Labyrinth and she was like, Dad, quiet down. I'm trying to sleep. And she was like, Father, I know that you would like to discuss the greater elements of this story as pertains to, you know, the hero's journey, blah, blah, blah. Hero's damn time, Dad. Wow. But, you you know, you really got to let me go to sleep. <laughs> Baby Einstein really worked for her. Um, oh, man, she loves that. She also loves the Muzzy thing. Shout out to Muzzy. When Garza Whip first is talking to Boba and is like, don't you know? And she's talking about the twins. I don't know if I was like, it's huts. But I was like, in the back of my head, I was like, what if it's two huts? And then sure enough, around the corner, here they come. And holy shit, they looked so good. Uh, okay, but, but my favorite part about it is that they looked so good because they also made them still kind of look bad. Yeah. Like, they made the CGI look basically the exact same way it did in phantom menace with them being like a little bit lit too brightly and it just because it fits with what we know visually it made me so happy because they could they could have made them super glossy they could have made it effortless right they could have made like it's very difficult to tell cg grogu from actual from puppet grogu because the cg is so good there and here it was like i could tell they were cg and i was so happy about that oh yeah so happy about that they looked, I thought they looked great. And, you know, one of them's got a hujib from the planet of the hujib, like Star Wars, like a uh, <laughs> record. Mopping his face. And then mop the, in the face. fanning away. And they have the little like frog containers on the litter. And a really great detail that I was noticing when, when they're first arriving and they, they stop while they're talking, a couple of them are like, like adjusting like this is really heavy i noticed that too yeah they're kind of like Uh, buckling at the knees and they have looks on their faces like of extreme frustration like can we just go it's funny to me to build up the mayor as this imposing force which he could still be and he's like no man it wasn't me it was these huts that have arrived to take back jabba's territory but you know there's still an element of uh suspicion behind the mayor and garcif whip and obviously we have these huts but Who's to say they're not all related in some way? Who's to say they're not all in on it? And I really think with the inclusion of the Pikes in this, and you know, we, we see the Pikes' faces for the first time, and they actually look like fish. 
I had no idea that they were going to be able to pull that off so well. <laughs> I just think about with their inclusion in Solo and all the crime syndicate work in Solo that I just really feel like we're going to get Kira at some point. I really feel like we are. Why not? Solo is a hell of a lot of fun, actually. If you go back and watch that movie, it just it kind of works as its own thing. I think the only failing with Solo is that they decided to tell us a story we already knew the outcome of. If that had been any other Han Solo and Lando Calrissian adventure, I think all of the fandom would have been like, that's amazing. That's perfect. But one undeniably interesting and incredible thing that they did with that was introduce the character of Kira and kind of give us that foil, that that understanding. It was like James Bond with uh, with Vesper Lind. You know, like, why why is he heartless? And why does he act the way towards, towards women that he does? Well, it's because of this. That's an unwritten rule of best one since the next one is we got to talk about Bond at least once per episode. If you give the audience an understanding of why this character acts the way that they do, you know, it's the same thing that we're doing with, uh, with the Book of Boba Fett and with the Mandalorian and really giving agency to why characters are motivated the way that they are. Are, then then wonderful that's excellent again i wish they had told us a story that we didn't know because of course it was going to end simply with uh did the kessel run solo was more than that to me i love solo i think it's vastly underrated i think that there's some moments in it that do make me cringe but overall the story is incredibly fun the entire kessel sequence of you know the droid revolt and like breaking it's out wonderful. of kessel up through the kessel run is wonderful. I don't know if it's one or two words, but Wookiee body slams. <laughs> Wookiee shower scene is three words. <laughs> uh, uh, bringing Solo back into it, I just, it's one of those things where I'm not going to be devastated if Kira doesn't come in because it's like kind of existing on its own as its own great storyline right now and it can kind of build an intrigue based on characters we don't know. I, I just really feel like with Kira, the loop not being closed on Kira and they're bringing her back in those the Bounty Hunter Star Wars comics and things like that. And it just feels like we're setting the scene for a Kira revival. That being said, I don't know what she would possibly add to the story at this point beyond like being the head honcho of like, so you thought you could just step in here and, and do this the way you wanted to. That's not how this works. And this is my galaxy. I really love the minimal storytelling that's going around right now, where it's just kind of, kind of is like the same three places. <laughs> like it's the desert, it's Garza Whip's sanctuary, and it's Jabba's palace. It's these three little locations we go to. We'll see if we ever go off world. Well, here's the thing. I don't, I don't really care. If we do, right. you know why? Because we got that fucking amazing action sequence with Tamura Morrison just showing up, saying no words, saying nothing, just opens the door and you see that amazing kind of silhouette, that shadowy silhouette. And he just walks in with his gaffy stick and with his, with his rifle and goes to fucking work. Yeah. Just wrecks Gives shop. no explanation as to why he's there or what he's doing. Doesn't talk to anybody. <laughs> Takes one drink ah, and walks the fuck out. Give me more of this is so long as what he's doing is building a relationship with somebody else, right? It's not just action for action's sake. He's building trust. He's building a relationship. He, he could have gone. He could have gone anywhere at that point. He could have gone back to Tatooine. He could have taken over right then and there. But we need to have a reason for him to do it. And the rest of the episode spells that out beautifully. Yeah, he's definitely uh, breaking bad a little bit. He sits and he calls the, the pikes out for their for their spice running. He's like, this is my crew. Your crew is in hot water right now, and this is what's going to happen. And you're under our protection, so you'll owe us. You go tell your syndicate that my syndicate said not happening on my planet. And that's where it starts. And there's still not a complete motivation for going and taking out Bib Fortuna and taking over Jabba's syndicate, but... We're getting there and we feel it. So that ties in. So Solo ties into the final season of Clone Wars, which would tie into these pikes now, which would give you a reason for Crimson Dawn to be pissed off at Boba Fett because Boba Fett just told them to fuck off or pay me. Exactly. And that's that's what we're building towards is like, okay, we'll go back and tell them, but it's Kira and you're not going to like what happens when we tell her this. I just think that's where we're going. The Kira connection, I think, is valid. And I think that there is a distinct possibility that she might arrive with an entourage at some point. What do you think, this is a, a difficult question going forward. What do you think is going to happen next week? Oh man. I, so here's the, <laughs> here's the deal with me and what do I think is going to happen next week? I have absolutely no clue. And that's what I'm most thrilled about after having watched this episode. Let me rephrase the question. What do you think the next step is for Boba? Ah, so I think the next step for Boba is him revealing to everybody what he cares about. I think it is him revealing uh, 
through either A, his destruction, or B, his his crippling. So I don't necessarily mean his destruction, you know, like, but, uh, you know, a down moment for him or him telling Fennec, I think what he needs to do is reveal what he's actually working toward. Why do I want this? And he's going to uh, bring others into his cause after he does this. You know, he's going to reveal why the Tuscans mean so much to him, what it is that his life means now, uh, I think. I don't know. I'm thinking a lot about the tree scene, his his vision quest when he's out tripping balls in the desert after snorting a lizard. Um, and <laughs> they have him say, huh, tricky bugger. I also love that they give it to him. He's like, a lizard. Uh, thank you. Thank you. It's like get, just like getting an awkward present from your aunt or something and being I like, ah, I don't know what this is, but I, I appreciate you. It was um, such a wonderful two-hander of being so serious in in its methods and uh, in its message and then giving us these wonderful humor moments. Like that just, it tickled me so deeply. That sounds weird. I'm thinking a lot about the tree sequence and I'm thinking a lot about how, how much we're going back to Camino and how much we're going back to young Boba and how much time we're spending on that. But seeing him seeing Django leaving and clearly that caused him a lot of pain to see his dad leaving and coming back and not being there and not having a father figure. Hmm, Star Wars and uh, complicated relationship with your father. That's really weird. That's crazy. They've uh, never explored that before. They've never. It's the first. Um, I'm really, really excited to see how that story might play out. I think we might get some sort of like deeper flashback or something like that. We might go full Daniel Logan Boba in some de-aged kind of way. I don't know. I'm not sure. I think I think you're right. I think, I think at episode three, I think we'll either get an explosive action type episode or a very, very cerebral, deep Star Wars mythology, deep dive type episode where you're just like, oh, we're doing this, huh? I think about just the slow burn and the story that they're just clearly setting up and the momentum's building and building and building. Almost, Doug, like it's a book about Boba Fett and chapters and almost like almost like it builds up from episode to episode and they're taking their time to tell a story it's really crazy how you can't just judge it after one episode anyway I, re- I appreciate you asking the question what do you what do I think is going to happen in the next episode I think you're more you're more than likely right we're going to get one of two uh, one of two outcomes in the next where they're going to have that badass action sequence or we're going to have you know more ruminations on what it means for Boba to be Boba but I honestly could die tonight as a Star Wars fan, having watched that with all of Star Wars that I've seen thus far, knowing full well, like, oh man, if they did that in episode two of this show, then it's only uphill from here. I think it's very telling of that return of the Star Wars brain where it's like the episode ends and this really powerful tribal dance and my imagination. And I wasn't just trying to like, what's one of my theories? What are my fan theories? I was just like, oh, I wonder what, will happen next. I, I was just thinking about the implications of the, the galaxy and the, the universe of star Wars, as opposed to like trying to beat the, the clickbait articles or just trying to like have the most, the hottest take online. And it really tapped into that star Wars brain that I can't say has been missing because, you know, Mandalorian has been just so amazing, but you know, post rise of Skywalker, I felt a little gun shy about star Wars. And I was like, don't hurt me again. Don't just don't hurt me again. <laughs> and it's just like, oh wow, I'm this thing is entirely itself and happy to be itself and and is bringing me back and is bringing me along for the ride and wants me to be here. I feel so aligned with it that it just it just makes my brain work in a different way, like Star Wars used to, like Star Wars did. I want to say used to. It's only been like two years since that happened, but like in Man- Mando's done a wonderful job of that too. I felt like so so hurt by Rise of Skywalker that it's nice to be back in some some loving arms. And uh, yeah, yeah, the way I felt at the end of this episode was the same way that I used to feel. So Phantom Menace fever was was going absolutely nuts in the entire world and you know if you were a kid of a certain age it was the only thing that you thought about it was the only thing you dreamed about you were going to every single pepsi machine in your neighborhood because you wanted to get every single special edition can that was out there and for me one of the things that had me constantly engaging in star wars before the movie even came out came out was the fact that they did a phantom menace trading card game very similar to magic the gathering and it just had all the new characters all these people that you didn't even know all these faces that you hadn't seen before the movie wasn't even out yet and we're playing this game 
and it was my friends and I, and we were engaging with these characters and imagining, and we're just thinking about stuff. And every single time we played that game, we just felt elated. We felt happy because we got to play in that world again, and it invited us to think about it and revel in it. And this episode gave me that right at the tail end. This is a self-contained, wonderful little moment in Star Wars time that is going to have larger implications, of course. But wow, wow, what a nostalgia trip to be able to just get sucked right back into not an exact replication of what I felt, but an approximation of it. And for exactly 40 minutes, I was 12 years old again. I love being disoriented by characters I should know well by now and not knowing what's going to happen to them next. It's just a really wonderful treat that we have this show. What was your favorite moment? Uh, I think my favorite moment in the episode is going to be that that sequence, um, the sequence I was just talking about with, with the Gaffy, the, you know, his training Gaffy stick and just absolutely dismantling everybody in that bar. Because it was shot so well, the effect of who Boba Fett is without his armor was was absolutely on display. And you really get a sense of this this character is just going to live and breathe for what he believes is right. But a very close second would probably be the Lycabantha. <laughs> Lycabantha. Yes. Like a panther. Yes. Oh, oh, thank you. You got to know ahead of time that that sound clip is going to be all over this episode. Just Please. You know. Oh, my God. <laughs> every, every like, stop down, every break, every transition is just going to be like a panther. Yes. Like a panther. Yes. I don't want to get caught up in the ruminations of, like, we've talked about this episode very seriously in kind of stark juxtaposition to the first episode. But I think it's because this one... It, it wasn't dour. It was wonderful. It was uh, revolutionary. It kind of elevated this story and took it to the place that I don't know anybody else could have uh, assumed it was going to go. And I had so much to say, to so much to say that it just kind of was all jumbling around in my brain. And I ended up being like, wow, the episode really speaks for itself. We, we have been speaking very seriously about this episode and it did have the most humor in it. And it is like the most whimsical yeah, I mean, out of two, it's it's like it's just it's bringing a lot more whimsy into it with those characters and the twin huts and things like that. My absolute favorite part of the episode was the progression of him being dressed by the Tuscan Raiders and then carving his gaffy stick. The music was so powerful and just the look on his face, the furrowed brow, the intent with which he's carving his gaffy stick, etching little details on it. It reminded me of the season finale of season one of The Mandalorian when Quill is explaining how he trained IG-11, how to be like a servant droid, in the wrong hands, that could have been a really... It, it was inherently a, a pretty goofy scene, but for some reason, it was so beautiful to me. It was such a, a really poetic moment, and just the way humanizing a thing that's not human, that does have human characteristics in this universe, but seeing the humanity and the ability to find good in a droid that was a killer before was just a really wonderful moment. And this scene kind of reminded me of that because, you know, normally you had kind of have a baptism, you know, sometimes like I'm thinking of like Ray in the last Jedi falling into the water before she finds out that she's on her own in the mirror cave and she comes out changed and with purpose. Boba Fett was baptized in the Sarlacc belly, which is like a really fun thing to say, but also he comes out and his change is more gradual. I feel like Ray came out intent and purpose. Boba Fett comes out and he's still kind of searching because he's in survival reactionary mode. But that was his baptismal moment is being laced with these gar with this ceremonial garb. It just worked. It's magic on me. My runner up favorite moment though is the droid on the train jumping ship and like scuttling away. <laughs> it's funny that we we've talked for an hour about this and that we're, we haven't even like been like the, the train heist was awesome because it was awesome, but there was just so much more going on that was awesome in the show and like we've we've had a train heist before but this one was particularly brutal and, and just thrilling and exciting was that a pod racer engine on top of that train see i i was thinking that but i don't i don't believe it is i think maybe you know based on the same technology but quite a bit larger because that thing it's would have to be fucking it. huge that's true and it's yeah not everything has to be everything that's like another great moment this goes fast 
Train goes faster. You want to see how fast train goes? <laughs> like the it's... the fact that we're I mean, you literally had it is it's such a wonderful magic trick of Boba Fett giving expository information by just saying what he's signing and speaking on behalf of everyone watching like this is what i say to people and like ah so wonderful so earnest so happy so jolly but so meaningful and i don't know why but it just into my head popped another one of my absolute favorite uh you know moments is where you know boba's riding back to the tuscans after he's reclaimed all the swoop bikes you know a gift for you and you're like oh man he's finally going to earn their respect in the moment he tells them that it's a gift for them. He turns around and sees all of them just trying to destroy and dismantle the swoop bikes. And he's just like, no, no, what are you doing? I just brought these for you. Just a really great episode. I'm, I'm thrilled for next week. Um, when you do when you do a podcast and there's a podcast cycle and then you have, uh, and then you have children, the weeks go by really fast. <laughs> like when you record an episode, edit it, Put it out there. Listen to everyone else's. Listen to your friends' episodes, and then by that time, it's the it's time for the a new episode. So that's great. It just keeps going. Do you have any closing thoughts about the episode, or do you have anything else you want to add? Before? I was talking to my wife about this earlier, and she said, "What is it that you think is is the magic moment about this show? What is, uh, this episode in particular?" Because I kept telling her over and over and over again, "Like this was wonderful. This was amazing. This was incredible." And she said, uh, "Is it about like a reveal? Is it about a people? Is it about a person? Is it about part of the story?" It is. This episode tells a story that reveals to a person who people are. And that's the best thing I can say about this episode. It was wonderful. I had a lot of trouble focusing at work that day. There was a lot of focus issues on Wednesday. Like a panther. Yes. That was our wrap up of Book of Boba Fett episode two, The Tribes of Tatooine. Yeah, episode three. Who the hell knows what they have in store for us. Doug, thank you for doing these two episodes with me. It's been a blast having you on. Can't wait to have you back on soon for something. Yeah, man. Anytime. You just let me know. And I can't wait to listen to you uh, expound upon what happens for the rest of the series as I watch and listen along. Well, I appreciate it. Up next week, we do have our episode three reaction episode featuring Kara DJ of Into a Larger World Star Wars fanzine. She'll be here. You caught her on our Book of Boba Fett trailer preview episode and our Matrix episode. Uh, so she'll be back for that. Speaking of the Matrix, we're still... Uh, trying to find the time to do our Matrix Resurrections review and reaction episode. One of the pitfalls of starting a new podcast is finding out the uh, best way to integrate it into your real life. We'll find time and we'll get that out to you soon. We'll bounce back and forth between Matrix Brain and Star Wars Brain. It's a great place to be. Thanks for listening to Best One Since the Next One. If you love the show, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, ring the bell on Spotify and rate us using their new star system. Five stars only. You know the drill. Follow us at B1N1Pod on Instagram. Uh, we are no longer on Twitter because Twitter makes me a bad person. And So yeah, follow us on Instagram for now. And just make sure to tell your friends about the show. We have actually have a giveaway going on right now on the Instagram as well. Giving away a Boba Fett bounty package of vinyl figurines, a couple action figures, a couple of the Phantom Menace drink toppers from back in the day. Those made me feel so warm inside when I saw them. <laughs> Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. It's like booster bars, fires. Hot baby, my body's burning like Anakin's with desire. Two twin pups, I need you, I need you, two twin pups.